Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. Still trying to get my voice back to full strength. It's coming along. Uh, as I mentioned last week, I do appreciate your patience, and please do keep in mind that the majority of this podcast features my normal voice, for what that's worth. You know, one of the great things about podcasts is that you can listen to them whenever you want to. It's always a good time. Whatever works for you. And it's always a good time for American Pride Roasters Coffee. APR Coffee, the inaugural sponsor of the At The Mic podcast. Uh, We are so excited to have them on board. And the folks at APR Coffee, based in Iowa, by the way, uh, want you to know that there's a coffee for this time of year. Do you realize that Fat Tuesday is coming up on February 16th and there's a coffee for that? King Cake, it's a part of the Epiphany celebration honoring the night the Magi gave their gifts to Jesus. Well, King Cake parties are common along the Gulf Coast from the eve of Epiphany until Mardi Gras. And you can order your APR King Cake coffee today and get that taste of a traditional New Orleans treat with the fresh roasted blend of American Pride Roasters Coffee. Head to aprcoffee.com. You're going to want to use offer code ATM. That stands for at the mic. Get you 10% off your order. You can enjoy the coffee that I enjoy when I'm sitting down to edit this podcast. Offer code ATM for 10% off at aprcoffee.com. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Well, this edition of At The Mic features a guy who hired me for a job way back in 2004. His name is Lee Matthews. From this conversation, Lee explains the difference between Cajun and Creole. He tells us about the tornadoes that he's witnessed from a high rise and how shopping for a bed changed his life. He's in charge of News Radio 1000 KTOK in Oklahoma City. He's my former boss and a great guy. It's Lee Matthews on this edition of At The Mic. Lee actually was a former boss of mine. Man, what was it? It's like 17 years ago now. I've lost track. I mean, (laughs) your kids must be grown by now. You know what? It's funny (laughs) you say that because my oldest was one year old. I remember that. When you hired me in Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. And today she is closing in on 18. So, yes. Wow. My goodness. Time flies. Wow. So, uh, speaking of kids being born, where were you born? I was born in a little town in deep south Louisiana, New Iberia. And it's not far. It's in the middle of Cajun country. Not far from a place called Avery Island, Louisiana, where they make Tabasco sauce. Uh Uh-huh. They grow a lot of peppers down there. They grow a lot of sugar. They grow a lot of, I mean, and, it's, and, and there's a lot of salt mines down there. And then, of course, there's the Cajun culture on top of all of that. So it was a great place to grow up. But, uh, you know, I wanted to be in this crazy radio business. Yeah, I should have been clear at the onset here. Lee hired me. My background is radio. And Charleston, South Carolina is where Lee managed a group of stations. How many? Uh, half a dozen there in Charleston, South yeah. Carolina? Yeah, I think we had six. Yeah. Okay. And so you hired me. You and Richard Bachschmidt um, hired me for WSC Radio yeah. uh, to be a producer slash uh, assistant program director there 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, radio has 
always been in my blood. I know I've wanted to be in radio since I was eight years old, but you have me beat. Uh, you actually wanted to be in radio since you were five, five. right? Five. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you when it happened. Okay. All right. All right. On a long trip, we had a 1967 Buick LeSabre. Dad was driving. Mom was in the front. It was late at night. Big sister is sleeping on the bench seat in the back, and I'm sleeping on the floorboard or trying to get some sleep. <laughs> And back in those days, let's say this is 1968 or so. Okay. CBS Radio Network used to still put on a nightly mystery theater. It was yeah. a one-hour program yeah. called the CBS Radio Mystery Theater, and they had it on. Oh. And I sat on the back seat or the back floorboard of that Buick, and I listened to it on that AM radio hmm. for an hour, and my mind was filled with all of the images they were describing, and I could see and smell and touch and taste everything that happened. And when they finished, they went into a news break, and uh, something told me then, as it just it spoke to me, that like, you want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. You want to be a part of creating that magic. So I had it in my head the whole time. When I was a kid, I used to practice with my record player and my cassette deck, <laughs> and I would set up a studio and play disc jockey for an hour or so. <laughs> and then when I was about 14, I decided, well, it's time to sink or swim. And I went on into the local radio station, little AM 1000 watt radio station, and said, look, I, I want to get into this business. I don't know how. I'll sweep the floor. I'll clean the toilets. I'll do the flower beds. And they said, well, no, we need somebody to run some of the weekend programming. You want to do that? There you go. And I said, of course. You were hooked. I'll pay you. I'll pay you. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That's And uh, that's where it started. I started working weekends. I worked eight years there and then went into uh, the nearby Lafayette, Louisiana, which was a bigger town. I worked there another eight years. Uh, I was in Baton Rouge for a little while. And then uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Hmm. And then... Fort Smith, I'm sorry, Fayetteville, Arkansas, Fort Smith, Arkansas. See, you lose track of where you've been. Oh, yeah, is it not? The, it's, it's like one step up as far as frequency of moves than a military brat. Yeah, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And I married a military brat, which- <laughs> So she's used to moving. She was used to it. Yeah, she was used to it. And so uh, anyway, uh, then from, from Fort Smith, Arkansas, Charleston, South Carolina. Uh -huh. And that's where I met you. So. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And since then, you've been here in Oklahoma City. Yeah. That's where we are recording this at News Radio 1000 KTOK. KTOK. Yeah. And you've been here a long time. Longer than I've ever been anywhere. It's going on 15 years here. That's great. Yeah. Well, it, it's good and it's. You know, it's nice to have a gig, and it's nice to have survived the business all this all this time. Mm -hmm. It's been a fickle business. It, it still is. It's getting worse in terms of that, but I mm -hmm. still love it. I still believe in that magic that I fell in love with on the floorboard of the 67 Buick. Yeah, and let's be clear. He's telling the truth. He was on the floorboard, kids. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, when we were young, we weren't necessarily always buckled in, okay? No. <laughs> no. No, I don't even think the, if the car had seat belts, my dad cut them out or <laughs> or tucked them under the seat or something because I don't remember them being present. That's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's fun. Right. And so you talked about your older sister. Yeah. So you have an older sister and, and a younger brother. Younger brother. Yeah. Okay. And the, the period I'm speaking about, my younger brother would have just been born. So he probably was up front with mom. 
Uh-huh. In her lap. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 So you went to school at Southwest Louisiana? Yeah. And now it's called uh, Ooh La La, University of Louisiana Lafayette. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know what your... I don't know what your family was like, but my family insisted on college, insisted. Mm. And I said, okay, if I'm going to go to college, I'm going to pay for it myself and I'm going to take what I want to take. Okay. And so I majored in communications and uh, paid my own way through because I'd been working all this. I started work when I was 14 and I was up to full time by the time I was 16. Wow. So I had saved enough money to, to just pay cash for, for, for school. Good for Now you. that's a good thing. Yeah. And it's also a bad thing because, you know, when you buy the headphones and you thought they were going to be Bluetooth, but you get them out of the package and there's a wire attached to them. Yeah. When I had <laughs> when I had a bad professor or a professor I didn't like or a professor who was barely able to make themselves understood, I felt ripped off. Mm. And so I would I would want my money back. Wait, uh, by golly, I paid for this and you're going to give it to me. So that was my attitude through college. I mean, I, I got my degree. But don't send your kids to me for advice on college because <laughs> I, I, my, my advice would be if it's something like the radio business or if it's something you can mm-hmm. learn on the job, don't spend a lot of money on theory because you don't need it. Right. So And that, and radio is one of those industries yep. where hands yep. on, man, yep. you're, you're going to learn most of the stuff behind a microphone, behind yeah. a board, um, the technical stuff you learn as you go. Yeah. The editing. Uh, Raging Cajun, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah. So, overall, though, was your experience good there? Uh, it was marginal. I mean, I, I, I will <laughs> say I did not walk away from it completely unfulfilled. Uh, there were some classes that I thought were goofy. There were classes that I was way above. I mean, they were still teaching you how to write radio drama, for heaven's sake. I'm like, what? What? I mean, I oh. like radio drama, but you're not going to need it in the real world. Uh, you had to take a foreign language, so that's where I picked up Spanish, and I'm mm. still fairly fluent in Spanish. I still do live broadcasts for our Spanish station. I, I, I produce some of the Spanish commercials. So, now, Do you so. speak some Cajun as well? With oh, that? yeah. The, the Cajun French you pick up as you go. So, Is there a phrase or something that you always show off when you're trying to demonstrate? Um, or? I'll tell you back when I used to do live broadcasts at this car dealership. And the car dealership was a, um, a Honda and an Oldsmobile dealership. And the name of the owner was J.P. Thibodeau. <laughs> and he loved the phrase, which means we'll treat your car as though it's our very own. Okay. And so he wanted that not only in every commercial, but when you were out there doing your live broadcast, you had to finish every break with, as always, and if you couldn't say it right, he would escort you off the lot. No, No, get out, get out. I don't want to see it. (laughs) So luckily I had the accent down and I knew because I'd been around it all my life. And the reason I don't have the accent now is because my family were very strict about speaking English well, mm-hmm. but you pump a couple of beers in me, it comes out. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> quick lesson. If you're going to say, don't get the consonant wrong, because that means we will treat your pig as though it's our very own. And I had a program director from Michigan do that. <laughs> and he, he suffered the ire. Of uh, J.P. Thibodeau. Was he escorted off the lot? Uh, he was asked to never come back. He, wow. wasn't, he wasn't escorted off the lot, but he was asked to never come back. Yeah. My <laughs> goodness. Okay. So growing up down there, I'm sure you're just surrounded by 
all things Tabasco sauce, right? Because that's Tabasco. I mean, and you know what you don't understand is there is a difference between Cajun and Creole. Hmm. Uh, where I grew up was the Cajuns. That was the settle. That's where the uh, the Arcadia French settlers settled when they were expelled by the British uh, in the early days of colonization of the New World. Okay. The, the British came in, took over uh, Nova Scotia which had been a French province, and they kicked all of the Catholics out. Okay. Well, they all got in boats and followed the American coastline down to Louisiana hmm. and settled there because that was under French rule at the time. Yeah. So that's how the culture developed. I didn't realize the they had come from Yeah, from Canada, Nova Scotia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. And so they developed their own culture, and that's how they developed all these wonderful foods, the gumbos. The, 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 they used what was available, the, you know, the duck, the pig, the, uh, the crawfish. New Orleans is a whole different deal. That culture developed because of the slave trade. Okay. New Orleans' primary import was slaves mm -hmm. from Africa, the West Indies. Uh, there was a lot of Spanish and French. So when you go to New Orleans, people say, I want Cajun food. It's not really the same. It's Creole. It has a little bit – it's a little It's a little closer to what we ate, the Gullah cuisine we ate in um, Charleston. Charleston. Yeah. You know, the peas, the rice, that kind of thing. Okay. When you go over to look to southwest Louisiana, where I was, that's the Cajun. That's where the gumbos come in. That's where some of the bizarro sausages come in, <laughs> you know, that the people are like, oh, if I want to eat that. Uh -huh. uh, so. so the Cajun is the more spicy. Than it can be. Mm -hmm. It can be. But it really is more of a flavor thing than it is a spicy thing. Okay. They use, um, instead of making sassafras tea out of the sassafras root, <laughs> they grind it up. And and it's it's called filet gumbo filet, and that's what gives the gumbo its flavor is that that dried up root. So okay, that's just an example. I could go I on all day that. about that. No, so. I love yeah. that. Are you yeah. kidding me? That's great stuff. Yeah. So you've been married to Laura. Yep. For about twenty seven years yes. now. Yes. Yeah. Did you meet her in college? Like, where, where did you get? I meet? was doing middays on a music FM station in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I was the production director. I just handled all the production of commercials at the time. And I had just moved into town, just got an apartment, and I needed some furniture. And so I went to what was the big store back then, Sears. <laughs> and I'll still remember the day I met her. I, I laid eyes on her. I took the escalator up. That's where the furniture section was. I needed to buy a bedroom set. And I got off the escalator and I turned to my left and there she was, blonde hair, hazel eyes, polka dot blue dress. Aww. And I walked over to her just to talk about the furniture. But little did I know when she said, can I help you? I was saying hello to the woman that was going to become my partner in life. Anyway, I, she sold me a bedroom set. Was that an awkward conversation? I mean, because were you smitten with her from the start? I was, but I, I was able to... To somehow... I was able to put it back in my pants for a little while. <laughs> well, I just wondered. I just could see you walking over. And, Excuse me, ma'am. I'm looking for a, uh, a bed. Could you yeah, help me? Could you help <laughs> And a lot of that happened to her. She had a lot of guys, yeah, you want to try this yeah, out exactly. with me? That's what I was wondering. And I didn't want to be... One of those guys. Right. So okay. uh, I want to say, you know, I had to order some stuff and it took three days for the stuff to come in. And when it came back in on the third day time, she had to call me and tell me, hey, this is in. And that's when I said, let me just shoot in the dark. Hmm. Would you care to have lunch sometime? Look at you. And uh, she said, I'd love to have lunch with you. And I said, OK, let's play this safe. <laughs> let's meet somewhere because I wanted her to not feel like I was cornering her. So. Right. And that would have been awkward to. 
you know, pick up the bed and, and, and take hey, on a date at the same let's time. Go. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I no, in fact, when I went to pick it up, I was grateful you had to go around to like a warehouse entrance. Okay. And so I didn't even see her. That's I, cool. That, I was a little worried about that, that it, it was going to be really weird. But uh, Now, I know among your hobbies, um, you're big into scuba diving. Yeah. I mean, we could address the fact that you've lived in a landlocked state for mm-hmm. quite a while now. And that, that must make it difficult. But it, it's... Was Laura into scuba? Did you guys get into that hobby together? We got into it. you got great pictures on the wall in your office. Yeah. And I know you're both in there. Yeah. And so, obviously, it's something you enjoy doing together. We, it started as, we, we had just moved to uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And I was running a group of radio stations there. And near there is a big, beautiful limestone bottom lake called Beaver Lake. Hmm. And it is known for bass fishing. It's known for water skiing. And because it's so deep and clear, it's great for scuba diving. Wow. So uh, we had a boat and we'd go out on the lake and enjoy it. And I thought, man, it would just it would just add a dimension of how I learned how to scuba dive. So that became a goal of mine. And one year, I think it was that year, maybe for my birthday, she gave me scuba lessons. So I took the scuba lessons, became friends with a scuba club, started diving regularly, went on a dive trip and she wasn't certified yet, but it was that one dive trip when she had to stay on the dock while I went out and had a good time that she decided, you know, I need to do this. She doesn't like doing those kinds of dangerous things. But next thing I know, she's enrolling herself. And so she took the lessons. And so that opened up a whole new avenue for us when we go on vacation. Yeah. So we can, it's something we can do together. But I was very proud of her for doing that. You know, when you get in a marriage, you do things for her. She does things for you. <laughs> yeah. But it's not often she'll, you know, go hunting with you or go scuba diving with you. Yeah. And so it's 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 worked out. She doesn't do it as much as I do, but I, I see. Yeah. What's the deepest you've ever been under the water? Okay. Well, and I still keep a boat over there in Arkansas because it's not far from here. Okay. And we can go over for a weekend easily. So I I, I we're we're there all the time. So I she's it was her idea. She said, mm-hmm. you know what, rather than drag the boat back and forth, why don't we just keep it there? And I said, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. To answer your question, um the valley that they flooded for Beaver Lake has a lot of treasures down there from old houses to uh, oh, an, an old gas station. That sounds like Lake Lanier, yeah. Georgia. Where Almost, I yeah. yeah. It's, it's a lot like that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so the deepest that we were, my dive buddy and I were in search of a place called Lost Bridge. And it's a place where they had built a bridge halfway across what was the river bottom. And they ran out of money and didn't finish it. So in the 20s and 30s, it became kind of a little vacation destination for day trippers. They'd go out there to Lost Bridge, jump off the bridge into the river, swimming. So we wanted to find that. And uh, we went down to, I want to say, 220 feet. It's, mm. it's dangerous. It takes a lot of preparation. Yeah, You have to be ready to, you have to have a rope with extra air on the way up because you can't stay down that deep that long. Wow. And I, by the time we got down there, it was pitch black dark. We had lights. Um, it was cold. The water was about 52 degrees down there in mm-hmm. the middle of summer. Uh, I found one piling. And about that time, I have a computer that I wear that tells me, told me it's time to go up. So I was only down maybe three minutes for it was time to go up. And it took me another 20 minutes to get to the surface because I had to stop every 15 feet for a few minutes to, to you have to get the gas out of your yeah. Gas builds up in your body and you have to let it out. So God. I did that and said, you know, that really wasn't 
worth all the time and effort I put into it. So now we don't do a lot of deep dives like that. We, we spend more time at, in the 20 to 30 feet range. Okay. Yeah. But you talked about it's Beaver Lake, Arkansas, uh-huh. and they flooded it. Yeah. Did you say that this was the clear one, the really clear water? Yeah. So, because yeah. uh, you're describing what sounds like, like we said, Lake Lanier, Georgia, mm-hmm. where they just flooded an area, the, the Corps of Engineers, yep. and there was a town there, there's gas stations. The thing about Lake Lanier is that it's dark, it's dangerous, mm-hmm. people drown there all the time from the currents and all the yeah. stuff, the unusual stuff you can't predict when you flood a town and build a lake on it. How is it that Beaver Lake, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, I certainly don't, why is one of those so nasty and murky and the other one is so clear and, and I think it has to do with the... Now, don't get me wrong, even in Beaver Lake where... The sun still penetrates up to 60, 70 feet deep, but you get any deeper than that, there, you know, what silt is in the water does start to diffuse the light. Okay. So you get down to 100 feet, it's going to be black anyway. Even in, you know, parts of the ocean, you get down that deep, it's going to be kind of dark. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's because anything and everything around that whole area is limestone bottom. Okay. So yeah, there you go. It's limestone. And what silt does wash off the mountains and into the lake bottom either settles on the limestone or flushes itself out as yep. because there's a dam always running water through there so that makes sense that yeah. makes sense you're also into model railroads which i mean talk to me because when i was a kid i remember the christmas when i got a model train and i loved it and i could totally see in hindsight how i would have fallen in love and just made that a hobby I did not, but you did. Tell me how yeah, that worked. Well, it's been a hobby that's also haunted me a long, long time. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, no. Everything you need is very expensive, uh, and, and it, there's always something to fix. There's always something to repair. You never, ever finish it. And then when you do, you get bored and decide, well, let me do this and add this and add And the next thing you know, you're tearing it up again. So uh, <laughs> I devised my layout. Uh, I suspended it from the roof of my garage so I can pull it up and pull it down. Oh, that's I, pretty cool. Pull it down and mess yeah. with it and play with it all I want. And then and get it out of the way. Yeah. And now with modern phones, I can pull it down and I can, when it's all working perfectly, videotape it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so I can remember what it all looks like. <laughs> so it sounds like... Like if you're constantly building and rebuilding a model train set situation, it almost sounds like it's not only a miniature version of a railroad track, but it sounds like a miniature version of, I don't know, a, a highway yeah. or a road or oh, something you know, always it, under construction. It's very, <laughs> it's very similar. And you, you know, you, you decide, okay, you, first you need to decide a period that you want to surround this this oh, yeah. layout. Yeah, okay. okay. Do, you, do you want the 1800s? You you you're not supposed to mix the two. Uh-huh. So I wanted to pick about my childhood, which is around, and passenger trains were still running in the 1960s. And uh, I had been on one. I'd been on one long train trip with my mom and grandparents, and I wanted to reconstruct that. And it was the old, uh, it's called the Southern Crescent Line, which ran from Washington, D.C. down to New Orleans. And... Um, it was its own railroad before Amtrak bought it up. It was Southern Railways. So I was able to find some authentic model stock, and then I'm, I'm, I try to construct some of the things that I remember along that route on the on the layout. So just kind of reconstructing my mm-hmm. childhood. So, And then my wife got into it. Oh, we can do that. And so she always puts little me and her in little 
parts of the scenery. Like we're on the swing and then we're hiking on the mountain and then we're in this car driving this way, you know, that uh-huh. kind of thing. So, okay. Yeah. So she's into scuba diving with you. She's mm-hmm. into the model train stuff with you. I didn't realize this until this email that you are quite a singer. Ah. Is she as well? Is that a hobby that no, y'all do together? No, okay. and I don't do it as much as I used to. I used to sing a lot in uh, choral, huh. choral organizations. Wow. Um, I, it started in church. I would sing in church. Yeah. And, and you know how important that is to a lot of worship, having, having good yeah. music. Mm-hmm. So along the way, I discovered I had a talent for it, and I had lots of encouragement from some of these directors who helped me along the way. And next thing I know, I, as a hobby, I was auditioning for the local community choir and singing pretty complex pieces from Beethoven and Mozart and what have you. That's amazing. But I don't do it as much anymore. It just it takes a lot of rehearsal time. Okay. And, uh, Have you ever gone around and done like Christmas caroling and stuff? With those organizations, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. In high school, I did a lot of that too. Pe- people typically like that when you're out in front of their house? Or Usually they- they've asked. Like a neighborhood will ask. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they know it's coming. Yeah, yeah. You don't just randomly pick no. a neighborhood and just no, start. No, okay. No. They know it's coming. So <laughs> let's say a, a wealthy neighborhood, you know, the week of Christmas wants to have its annual carol night. Uh-huh. And so you'll go out with this group and you'll carol. And sometimes some of the people come along and sometimes they don't. But everybody takes pictures and gets into the spirit of things. That's really cool. Yeah. Tell me about repairing antique clocks. That is my that, accidental it, it, hobby. See, uh, that seriously sounds. Yeah, it sounds equal parts maddening and rewarding. Yeah. Okay, so let's back up a few years. My departed father-in-law, who lived in the DFW area over in um, Mesquite, uh-huh. contracted lung cancer and passed away. He had been a serviceman in the Air Force and had spent many years in Germany, and in his free time, he and other servicemen like him discovered you could go around to some of these old farmhouses and don't you know back in the old barns they would have tons of these old antique german made clocks wow. that they would sell for pennies wow. just to get rid of them and it turns out a lot of them were sold were, were being hoarded because they didn't want the nazis to get them there would be clockmakers or families of clockmakers wow. whose whose uh Let's say the the clockmaker, if he had been alive during the time of the Nazis, he probably would have been commandeered to go work in a munitions factory. Mm. So he would put all his operations in the back barn. Well, time would pass and they wanted to get rid of it. So anyway, father-in-law wound up with this collection of antique German clocks. And when he passed away, my wife couldn't let them go. I mean, mm-hmm. she probably would have had a small fortune if she sold them because I've already since priced some. Anyway, yeah. I, I get them home and I'm, I decided some of them were working. Many of them weren't. And I decided, okay, I'm going to get these working in honor of him. So, and How many are we talking? Five. Okay. And then my sister-in-law had the other five. Uh-huh. And so I ended up having to take care of those two. But digital phones had come along and it suddenly occurred to me, hey – Take a picture as you take parts off. That way you remember where, because it's not like you can get an instruction manual for a 1918 style Kainstall grandfather clock <laughs> with a cherry wood finish. You know, you're not going to find that. So, so I started doing that. I started reading stuff about it. And next thing you know, I'm rebuilding clocks. I got them all working now and they're all keeping time. Down that to, is I think cool. I think the 
one of them loses a minute a week, and that's about as best as you can hope from an antique clock. Right. So yeah. do they all chime off at the same they time? They do. <laughs> Does that ever drive you nuts? You like no, the sound? No, we're or? used to it. Okay. We're used to, it's yeah. the heartbeat of the house now. And we have people come and visit. We ask them, hey, I hope you don't mind. <laughs> uh, if this clock is bothering you, we'll stop it now. So they're all yeah. throughout the house then? Yeah. Or they're not? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. One in the living room, one in the study, one in the guest room. So is your house ever really quiet and all you hear is... Oh, yeah, but you hear several ticks in right. stereo. Yeah. And that never drives you mad <laughs> no, like the telltale no. for heart me, it's or No, no, for me, it's the heartbeat. And like mm. my mom comes to visit. She, it doesn't bother her. My sister comes to visit. Oh, no, I like that. It's, it makes the house sound alive. I said, okay. Uh, That's really cool. Yeah. Guns are also a hobby of yours. Yes. Yeah. So like are we talking antique guns as well? Some, as the, okay. some yeah. Um, my brother and I inherited a, a collection of guns from our, both our grandfathers and our father. And when we came of age, we just decided to start looking into those guns in the gun cabinet. So we started getting them out, looking at them, researching them. Grew up in the country, so we could go out back and shoot them if we wanted. And uh, so now it's kind of fun. It's kind of a little knitting circle my brother and I have. Uh, when we get together, we trade out you know, hey, you want grandpa's old rifle? Yeah, I want dad's M1. Okay. And so, you know, we kind of trade out guns for six, eight months at a time. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So where do you go if you're dealing with old guns? Where do you go for parts? Because I'm 0 for 2 and trying to find the perfect part for a Kalashnikov. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I've ordered it twice from Russia on eBay, and each time it's the wrong thing. So where is there a website we need to know about that you get this stuff from? I started, and I'm sure you in, in Dallas have them too. We probably have a gun show every weekend here in Oklahoma City. That's a good and, idea. and that's where I started. Yeah. And I brought the particular gun that I wanted to work on. And I brought it in. And of course, they think you want to sell it. And of course, I could have sold, I had a little 22 over under 410. I could have sold, maybe it was purchased for $25. I could have sold it for 400 probably. Anyway, I needed parts for it and I couldn't find them because the company's long out of business. And uh, I just said, look, I just I need to find parts. Uh, yeah, go on over and talk to so-and-so. He'll know. <laughs> yeah. And so I go over and talk to so-and-so. And then he'd say, well, the guy that I normally deal with is not here, but here's his business card. Okay. And some of these guys are cash only. Uh -huh. Some of these guys are, yep, you want one? Send me a check. I'll send it to you. And you got to kind of trust them. Mm -hmm. But I've never had one do me wrong. That's cool. And the antique clock business is kind of the same way mm. when you need a certain part. Well, so-and-so uh, in Denver's got it. Okay, you got uh, his website. He doesn't have a website. <laughs> he don't do internet. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then you call him. Send me a check. I'll send it to you. Uh -huh. How do I know it's the right part? Well, if you don't like it, send it back, and I'll send back your check. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You're All just right. like, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'd really feel better giving you my credit card number. Nope. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> so, that's but that's fun. where I'd start. Okay, that's yeah. where I'd start. Yeah, and I, I don't idea. think you're going to have any problem finding either a reproduced part mm -hmm. here in the U.S. or some guy at that gun store has so many of those, he's got the part right there Yeah, from an old rifle. He'll just yeah. walk in the back and yeah. bring out the box yeah. and say it's in here yeah. somewhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. That's, that's a good idea. Yeah. Okay, so you guys have two cats. Mm -hmm. I mean, are you cat people? Uh, in general, I like or? cats. I like dogs. Um, you know, we we never had a dog together. We've had a number of cats together, and it's just they're easier to move. And you know, we were moving so much. Yeah, and and, I, a, and a cat just seems more adaptable to that. That's a great point yeah. because I mean, we had a high watermark of four cats, mm -hmm. 
at one point. I mean, maybe we weren't all mentally there at the time, but uh, <laughs> no, that you, you're you're absolutely right about them being easier to move. And the reason we have to, we've had the one cat before, and we found that finally with two, they they do better when we're not there, huh? Because they can entertain each other. They're they're less uh, anxious when we come home. Huh. So, see, that's interesting because when I was in college, um, we had two kittens, mm-hmm. and I got tired of the garbage can always being knocked over and yeah. dragged out and stuff. <laughs> and I set up a camera. And I'm like, I'm going to figure out who's doing this. I'm, and of course, it was Gert, yeah, uh, the troublemaker. And then Zoe would just uh, her sister would just watch her and stuff, <laughs> and and play with eggshells as they came out of the garbage can. But um, so you find that they keep each other, I guess, calm, or or do they get into trouble more? You know, no, I, I think they mind keep themselves calm. Well, they, look, at they you. they chase <laughs> they chase each other around. They uh-huh. play with each other, you yeah. know, and, and but they don't. Uh, I don't ever have. Have a problem with them getting on See, things. See, look at you. Or... You have you have gentle creatures because now as you're telling the story again, I'm thinking as a kid, my mom and I left the house for 10 minutes. We had uh, two brothers that were uh, cats and mm-hmm. they were sitting at the bottom of a, I'm talking, very tall tree, 70 feet tall, looking straight up at a squirrel with their tails wagging like they wanted. And we thought, okay, good luck. Yeah, guys. Yeah. <laughs> we came home and the, the squirrel was dead in the driveway. <laughs> We just we just raise troublemakers, I guess. I don't know, but I I do love cats as well. Mm-hmm. Um, currently don't have any, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I don't know. I think I'm more of a dog person now. I don't well, know. and then you know when you adopt a cat that's full grown, I'm not saying don't, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of times they've developed their own setting their ways, right? Yeah, they yeah. they have. <laughs> if you adopt a kitten, uh, you know it can get to know you, yeah, and and learn that way. I think, but I'm not saying don't adopt because I'm a big. I'm a big animal shelter guy. Yeah, yeah. me too, man. Um, Your favorite music genre? That's very difficult because I've been in the radio business and I like, (laughs) honestly, I like all forms of music. I can find a form of music that I like if it's got, uh, if it's got music, I mean, if it's got tone and medley uh, and poetry to it, I like it. Um. So I can't pin you down on one specific genre it's, it's your go-to. Uh, I, I mean, I like, uh, you know, I was even in oldies radio for a while just because I yeah, like Yeah, what are the musical genres that you've had to be a DJ for? Oh, uh, well, first of all, there's what we used to call light rock. Uh-huh. Uh, that's where I started in light rock. Then I did oldies and then I did more light rock. Then I did <laughs> top 40. Okay. I did country. Wow. I did classic rock, uh-huh. which is basically a different form of oldies. Yeah. You seem to be like uh, an urban station kind of DJ, right? You've probably done that as well. No, that's the I, only one. Maybe that's the only one that. you haven't. I have not done that. No, I have not. But, <laughs> but, but every I mean, other well, possible. even even the Spanish music. I mean, even the different uh-huh. forms of Spanish music I like. I can find something I like about. It. I mean, it, I know that most most non Latinos listen to it, and all they hear is the umpa umpa umpa. Um, <laughs> but I can hear the different nuances in it. I guess because I speak the language. Uh-huh. Uh, growing up, we had the Cajun French, which is basically every song is a waltz. Anka tanka tanka yanka. <laughs> tanka, tanka. You know, every song is a waltz, but when you hear the music and you know what the poetry is saying, it's it, it's different. I even didn't think I liked reggae. Okay. And I was down in Turks and Caicos on a business trip 
one of these radio things where you go down and do your show from from their resort. And to prep the show, it takes a couple hours. I'm sitting in this bar prepping this show because it's the only place that had internet access. And <laughs> I listened to two hours of reggae, which everything is a is a one-two beat. Uh-huh. And I, after about an hour, I was starting to get into it. Oh, okay. So, uh, wow, look at you. So you could put anything on and, and, and you'll adapt. I will. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything I just absolutely despise in mm. terms of music. And I uh, I can't really think of anything. Okay. I, I can't. Yeah. So, What's the last song you played on repeat then? You're going to laugh at this. <laughs> Probably. I was building a playlist of songs that I remember when I was younger that you don't hear anymore. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And back in the 70s, Paul McCartney, I mean, everybody knows, you know, someone's knocking at the door, but a lot of people don't remember his Back to the Egg album. And I had that album. Uh-oh. Uh, and... On the tail end of that album is a folk song he wrote about where his farm is in Scotland, and it's called Mull of Kintar. And it's mm. um, the Mull of Kintar is an inlet into the Kintyre province, McIntyre, okay, son okay. of Kintar, son okay. of Kintar. So that's where his farm is, is in that inlet. So, uh-huh. And I had forgotten about that song when I was going, well, you know, I was on the playlist, building the playlist, and I go, oh, back to the egg. Yeah, I remember that album. I forget what this song, and I started to listen to it. I fell in love with it. So All I had to right. add it to the playlist. My wife heard it. I love that song. And so we sat there and listened to it. And what's over the name of it again? Mull of Kintar. Mull of, Mull of Kintar. Kintar, yes. Oh, I'm, I'm looking for that. Yeah. One. Okay. You much of a reader? Do you oh, yeah. enjoy Okay. Yeah, love reading. So yeah. what's your favorite book ever then? Uh, I think it must be Mas- the Master and Commander series, but specifically from that series, um, Far Side of the World. Mm. And that's the series of books written by the British author. His name escapes me, but I have. He wrote so beautifully. And it was the type of reading that wasn't exactly light. Uh, You would have to have a dictionary with you because you'd find five or six words that they don't use in the language anymore. And you'd have to look them up. But I never, ever learned so much reading a book and having to look up those words. How old are these books? I think the last one was written in 1985. And what is it about then? Or? It's about a commander in the early 19th century Britain. He's a commander of a vessel in Her Majesty's Navy. And his best friend is a doctor, a physician, who is also a secret agent for the Admiralty in Great Britain. Wow. And because it's a man of war, he is the ship's doctor. But while he's on all these missions with Commander Obrey, he is... Um, sending back information on and, and they're always battling the French and they're always going to exotic ports and and but it's all it's full of old language that you don't use anymore mm-hmm. it's full of a lot of nautical terms in fact I, I'm almost certain I learned to sail reading it because I'd have to look up what all these terms were <laughs> that's awesome so what's the latest book that you've big, read big into the spy genre especially um the, the, the genre that deals with the way it really was and uh, to be a spy in World War II. And Alan First, A-L-A-N-F-U-R-S-T, is one of my favorite authors. He's got a new paperback out called The Occupation, and it's about occupied France and the people who acted as spies in occupied France and how the most unwitting people became spies. And, I mean, it could have been a hairdresser. That sounds you know, very cool. A hairdresser, a uh, a writer, 
because he had permission to travel. So he had the ability to transmit messages. Oh, I have to write on this. And the Germans would let him do whatever they needed uh -huh. to do. And he wasn't writing a story. He was writing down, you know, that plans for a gyroscope for the torpedo. So, that cool. yeah. and that's uh, the occupation. It's called the occupation. Uh -huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, that sounds really cool. He's got a lot of books that are like that. Uh -huh. you know, and, and that's why I enjoy, I enjoy it. Regular people doing un extraordinary things. I love those kinds yeah. of stories. Now, this next um, question, I've started to ask, you know, what's your favorite app? Now, your answer at first blush may sound like something that radio geeks would really like. Yeah. But I don't know. It sounds pretty cool. What is it called again? It is a uh, editor. It's a sound editor yeah. app. And I have to look it up real quick. A Twisted Wave. Twisted it's called Wave. called Twisted Wave. I use it all the time. All the time. Just, just for radio stuff? Or? Radio stuff. I use it when I'm when I'm on vacation and I want to edit a piece of music to uh -huh. put on a on a video. Yeah. Uh, I can do that. That's cool. I mean, it does you know, you and I use a thing called Adobe quite a bit. Yeah. Well, it's almost like a smaller, lighter version of Adobe there on your phone. Uh -huh. You can flip things, edit, cut, repeat, you can do all kinds of when things. When you so. told me about this, I thought, man, this sounds like something that sounds like a must have for, mm -hmm. for audio guys is it tough to edit though on your phone or uh, it can be a challenging stylus, or no no i mean my fat fingers can do it okay I'm, you know um yeah, expand okay. very yeah. cool i yeah. gotta check that out yeah. twisted wave all right favorite comfort food is the exact same as mine i mean you can have this this is the food please tell I, us. I will have bad pizza and enjoy it mm -hmm. i will have I may complain about it, but I'll enjoy it. <laughs> wow. That piece of taste frozen. Let me have another piece. Uh -huh, <laughs> <You know>? uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and Totino's, let's admit, is is underrated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's cheap. Yes. So, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, you can have, it's it's a quick food. Yeah. You know, it's like you can eat pizza and, balanced. and do something. Oh, yeah. it's absolutely balanced. Yeah. You know, I, I've heard it said, you know, it has all the main food groups, right? It's yeah. got it's got your breads, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's got your uh, vegetables. It's got your fruits, if you want to count uh, tomatoes. Yeah. Or pineapple, if someone wants to go uh, that route. That's yeah. a right, sacrilege right. in my view, but okay. Right. I got yeah, you. Yeah. It's got your dairy, obviously. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it does. And, and everybody says that it is fattening. Yeah, if you eat the whole thing. <laughs> You can just have a couple slices, and you're not breaking your diet. So, right. and could you say that about anything? I mean, well, fill yeah. in the blank is fattening if you eat the whole thing. Yes, <laughs> my wife is always coming up with, "Oh, this is fat-free. This and fat. I'd rather have a tablespoon of real cream than a half a gallon of skim milk." So, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Um, being in the radio business, you've probably crossed paths with celebrities along the way mm -hmm. um any of them that stick out over the course because i mean how, what year did you first get into radio uh i got my this is back when you still had to have a license and you still had to take a <laughs> test to get the license and i uh -huh. was in new iberia louisiana so the closest place to take it was new orleans Oof. so i had to go out to new orleans and take the test and that was in april of 1983 so okay so yeah. quite a while mm-hmm Anybody stick out over the almost 40 years here of uh, meeting people? People ask me that all the time. And, and hands down, number one, the, the, the day that I was stumbling over myself and stammering over myself because I was so nervous to be in his presence was the day I met Glenn Beck. Aha! Uh -huh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> oh. I was going to play this for him. 
<laughs> my boss. Uh, Ray, Ray Charles. Ray oh, Charles. Oh, nice. I met Ray Charles. Uh, I want to say he died later that year. But oh. he was in concert where I was living at the time. And I got to introduce him. Hmm. And I got to go backstage afterwards and meet him. And the people that were backstage with him were also so in awe. And he was escorted back into the room where we were going to take pictures with him. And everybody was being very quiet mm. because we were like, oh, wait, this is Ray Charles. This is really Ray Charles. <laughs> and he said, why are y'all being all so nice and polite? Y'all can talk. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. That's cool. And I said, hey, it's just a great pleasure to meet you. You were the one that introduced me. You did a good job. Thank you so much. And, you know, he, he, he would do his head back and yeah. forth when he talks and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really cool. <laughs> so, yeah. so I guess he's he's number one. Okay. He's number one. But I've talked to a lot of them on, over the phone. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, it is... It's kind of odd. You know that sometimes they're in a bad mood because they have to do this radio thing and they're talking to these guys again and again and being asked the same questions again and again and again. I always try to hit them with something that's not on the script so they can lighten up and open up. And, uh -huh. and a lot of times that's that's what they do. So Dolores O'Riordan, who was the lead singer of the Cranberries, Cranberries. God, God rest her soul. Yeah. Um, I was coming on the line to interview and I heard her complaining to her manager, like, saying the same things over and over again. Oh, you know, with her Irish accent. <laughs> I said, well, Dolores, I'm not going to hit you with that. I want to ask you about your horses. And she lit right up. Nice. Talking about her horses. There so, you go. Yeah. And I probably spent, I mean, I think I had it on for 10 minutes and, and a good eight minutes of that was talking about her horses. Ha, how so, great is that? Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. Uh, that just that reminds me of, it wasn't during an interview, but, um, I used to get the guests and the callers on the air for Glenn, mm -hmm. for Glenn Beck's radio show. And I remember one time we had Jeff Foxworthy on. Mm -hmm. and uh, Oh, those two in a room. Good well, Lord. Yeah, no, it was a fun interview. <laughs> and he was on the phone. And so I had to call him. All right. And I grew up in Atlanta. Yeah. And he was a local comedian there before he made it big. And he hosted a local version of America's Funniest Home Videos, and it was called Atlanta's Funniest Home Videos. Ah. And so when I got him on the phone, I <laughs> said, hey, you know, it's great to see a Georgia boy, you know, do great. I remember when you hosted that special Atlanta's Funniest Home Videos, and he said... I have done so many interviews and so many media junkets in my life. Nobody has ever brought up Atlanta's Funniest Home Videos. That was my <laughs> fun moment with Mr. Foxworthy. Okay, so if you could go back in time, mm -hmm. who would you want to meet? Uh, that's easy. My dad passed away when I was very young, so I would want to meet him not as I remembered him, but before he and my mother were together. Mm. Uh, I would like to see what he was like as a young man because there were many times when I was growing up, you know, I was, I, I would want to see him at the awkward stage where he's trying to figure things out too because when I knew him, he was dad and mm -hmm. he had it all figured out. You didn't mess with dad, you know? He was that kind of dad. But I would have liked to have seen him when he was trying to figure things out. And when my grandfather, his father passed away, one of the things we got was this big drawer full of old bl black and white pictures. And we just, my, my siblings and cousins and I, over the next 10 years, spent, I don't know how much time just trying to figure out who these people were in these pictures and oh. where they were. Yeah. And we were able to, over about a 10-year period of time, piece together the gaps in the years that dad had told me about versus what he hadn't told me about. And so it was kind of an interesting way. And I guess maybe that's why I feel this way, because I've seen the pictures of him when he 
drove a rice combine in Eunice, Louisiana. I've seen the pictures of him when he was welding on a pipeline down in El Paso. You know, things like that that I never knew about. He never mm. told me about. And I'm like, wow. what? What? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So uh, anyway, uh, that's what I'd like. And I, that's what I bet. That's what got my interest going. Yeah, so. I I can understand that. Mm. Absolutely. Um, do you have any interesting talents that uh, – that, that you show off from time to time? I don't show it off from time to time, but uh, I, I always joked with my wife that if we had a daughter uh, and the, you know, the boy would come to the door to, to take her out, I would meet him with a banjo. And <laughs> son, you want to take my daughter out? Got to join, join in a number. Internet. And I mean, just, <laughs> just, just geek, geek out completely. Uh-huh. Well, one year, my wife gave me this ukulele. Because I guess she thought I said ukulele instead of banjo. Anyway, I thought, well. That's got, funny. Got me a ukulele. That's funny. I'm going to learn to play it. So I taught <laughs> myself to play the ukulele. Wow. And so yeah. you didn't think to take it back for a banjo? No, ukulele? actually, I we went to Hawaii on a vacation. And I, wow. I the cheapy one she bought me as a joke, I don't even play anymore because we bought a nice one. Wow. A nice handmade So you really one. got so, into it. Yeah, I really got into so, it. Where do you get the opportunity in in the course of your life to actually play it? Sunday afternoon, or... the weather's nice. I'm on the back porch with a beer, and I feel like strumming out a few. Tunes. That's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then since then, my nieces and nephews, I thought they would think I was completely geeked out about it. They love it. Get out your ukulele, Uncle Lee. Let's sing songs. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, and you just mentioned uh, sitting on the back porch with a beer. Beer is something you list as uh, something that helps cheer you up. Yeah. Uh, is there a particular brand or some sort of uh, my own? Your, oh, your own. I make my own. Very good. Among See, my, a lot of people are doing that. Among my hobbies, I just don't think I would have the patience. <laughs> it takes a lot. A lot of, of steps, and I just want to crack it open it and is, drink. It is. It all started. Uh, Oklahoma doesn't have the goofy laws we used to have, but we used to have the goofiest alcohol laws. Oh no. Uh, three two beer. You couldn't get regular beer cold. You had to get it warm. And what? so a lot of the major breweries would not even sell anything other than 3-2. So I couldn't get Coors or Coors Light full strength. I'd either have to drive down to Texas and buy it or drive over to Arkansas and buy it. And then one of my favorite brands. Let's be honest. Who's driving to another state for Coors? I was. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I was easily. Any, oh, that wasn't hyperbole. You're no, being serious. No. Wow. Okay. Well, I got to go. I got to go to Beaver Lake while I'm there. Let me pick up a couple cases of Coors Light. Okay. So, okay. Well, that, you know what, though? That's yeah. the equivalent of before Dorothy Lynch salad dressing in Nebraska was everywhere. You, whenever you'd visit Nebraska, you'd yeah. load up yeah. with the Dorothy Lynch and take it back with you. There was another brand I fell in love with when I was at an Oktoberfest uh, celebration, and it was made out of Munich, and it was their Oktoberfest brew. And I kept a couple bottles of it. And so when I I decided before they changed the laws, what they recently, they changed about two years ago. So now we can get everything anybody else can get. But at the time I started brewing beer, I thought, I'm going to replicate that taste, that Oktoberfest taste. So I did. And I've tweaked it and improved it to the point now where I actually put it in a keg. I have three kegs in rotation and I keep them down in my storm shelter. And uh, I have a, a, a keg chiller, so I have, I have beer on tap. Come on over. You can have some. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I like that. It's I great think. when you're, you know, you cut the grass, you make a pass with the lawnmower, <laughs> get a sip of beer right out of the tap. It's ice cold. It's fresh. It's nice. fizzy. Oh, <laughs> it's, my goodness. Yeah. And you just mentioned having a storm shelter. Uh-huh. You live here in Oklahoma. <sighs> have you had encounters with tornadoes here? Uh, well, the weather is 
always trying to kill you in this state. <laughs> it, it, it's always trying to kill you. If you're not in the middle of God's holy trousers hailstorm uh-huh. with golf ball size hail, you're in an ice storm that's pulling your tree down on your house. Ooh. And if you're not in that, you're in, uh, we've had earthquakes. Yeah. I've been through my first earthquake here. It was a 4.0 on the Richter scale. We're on the 11th floor of a building right now. Were mm-hmm. you in it, uh, in this building on this floor when that happened? Or? No, I was at home. Okay. Yeah, I was at home. Uh, and uh, it sounded like a helicopter was landing in the backyard. And then the whole house was vibrating with that frequency. That happened to me in Charleston, by the way. You were there for that earthquake. For, was, yeah. Well, no, uh, there was there were several. Yeah. I was in the wrong part of town. I didn't get to feel the one that everybody else felt. Okay. I felt a more localized one. No, I remember but, reading about that and thinking, okay. yeah, well, I, I, and I knew that Charleston had had earthquakes because there is a fault line there mm-hmm. that I don't think had erupted since right 1900. after the, yeah, yeah, I was going to say right yeah. after the Civil War. Well, no, so. And the only reason I know it was an earthquake that I experienced is I went out in my driveway and I looked over and my neighbor was standing in his driveway yeah. and we looked at each other and went, was yeah. that an earthquake? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, sorry to interrupt. But, okay, but, yeah. so there, that, that was the earthquakes. Okay. Yeah. But, but tornadoes, I think I was here my first, within my first six weeks, we had a, a, a tornado that touched down in uh, El Reno, which is about 10 miles to the due west of here, but you could see it from here up on the 11th floor. Yeah. And the tornado, it was it was like, it was the weirdest tornado ever. It touched down in a pasture and it just stayed there for maybe 10 minutes, just swirling around that pasture, going around in circles. Was it in that targeting pasture. a particular cow or something? No, it was just, and people... Within that square mile of that pasture, we're just lining up and taking pictures of this tornado. Oh, my tornado. goodness. And it stayed there and stayed there and stayed there. It, and was it was showing off. And it was the perfect V-shaped, you know, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore, tornado. Uh-huh. I mean, just like that. And then it just gently swirled back up into the sky. It just, it was, it was a photo op. It was. <laughs> and science, I interviewed some, some meteorologists after that. Who were up here in the studio and uh, from from OU Met, uh, School of Meteorology, and they were telling me it's a it's a, it's a trip to Plumson to type the storm, and I said, well, "What does that mean?" Well, normally they swirl clockwise. This swirled counterclockwise. Oh, uh, oh, and that doesn't happen very often. I said, "Well." I wanted to know who got in the middle of the tornado to figure out which way it was swirling. But right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, then there was one day. I'm sitting in my office. It was a nice day, maybe a little cloud cover like what we have today. And I get a beep. I leave. Yeah, sales manager down on the floor below me. Are you looking out the window? <laughs> no. Why? Oh, look out the window. And I turned and I looked out the window and there was a tornado. It was probably an F1. You know, not very big, but it had just dropped out of nowhere. And right I outside sat there, the window. Right outside the window. It oh. swirled across the parking lot. And then there's a neighborhood behind the building over here. There was a, a poor guy with his tool shed was blown apart. Oh. And then it, it took off the shingles of his roof. And then it went right. So, I mean, it may be, it may be swept 100 yards, uh-huh. maybe. And wow. then there was the big one that everybody remembers around here. They just call it the May 13, the May of 2013. And mm-hmm. that was the F5 that touched down in Moore, basically on top of an elementary school. And mm-hmm. I mean, just stayed there for a few minutes and ground everything to bits. Killed, uh, I want to say, five kids mm-hmm. and a teacher. Yeah. Uh, then it it swept to the east and, and for a long, long time. You can't see it anymore, Keith, but when you drive – South, right when you get to, uh, I want to say it's the 4th Street exit. From the 4th Street exit 
to the Walmart. That was the path, and it's about a mile-wide path. And the interstate goes north-south. It swept west to east. But that whole part of town, other than the movie theater that's still there, was flat, just flat. Houses, trees, everything, flat. So it was a grinder. It was a big one. Describe that one. Did you get to see that one? The curious thing about that one is our meteorologist partners here were so good at it. They knew, okay, the conditions are going to be right for a tornado this day. And that morning, okay, it's still on. And we've narrowed it down to between 3 and 5 p.m. Then at noon, it will be between 3 and 3.30. And at 3.13, it touched down. So we were all watching. Okay, okay, 3 o'clock. I see the weather starting to boil up. And we all went over to the south side of the building because we can see outside. On the 11th floor. And and sure enough, we saw the cloud build up. We saw the funnel develop in the sky. We saw it touch down. And within seconds of touching down, it just grew into this huge cloud. And at that point, you couldn't tell it was a tornado because it was so big. And uh, we just sat there and watched it move to the west. By then, um, Channel 4, which is our partner, they had a helicopter, a guy in a helicopter, and he used to be a military Blackhawk pilot. He could fly right up to the thing, and he was getting pictures of it, uh, destroying that school and then, and then wow. moving off. But that was um, the small one in El Reno that just stayed in the, in the pasture was more impressive to, to view than that one, because once that once that one touched down and grew into that big gargantuan giant that it was, you really couldn't from here you couldn't tell it was a tornado. Mm-hmm. And if I had been driving a car and didn't have the radio on, I wouldn't have been able to know what was going on. Oh look at that just rainstorm kind of ah! you know, right. off you'd have gone. So Okay. Yeah. Man. So one thing that people don't typically know about you is that you can sing opera. How did that happen? Uh in all the studies of, of vocal music, I've, I started to like opera. And uh, I think it's because I know what those singers are going through athletically. And uh, because it is to, to, to sing an opera is a lot of work. I mean, a lot of those opera singers, they don't talk the day they perform. Oh, my goodness. Many of them, um, many of them are very athletic because what they have to do is athletic. Um you know, they have to hold notes that are just amazing. And so I, I guess I can see what they have to go through to do that. I don't know that I'd ever want to be in an opera, but uh, I know what the craft is. And I, I can I can watch it. So like, how did you I can watch it like that? some people watch a football game. Like, wow, that was a great one. <laughs> okay. Great, All right. So, so yeah. at what point in your life did you go, I can I can do this? Like, did you just in the shower or were you in a, a play? I, always, or I always sang. Even as a kid, I like to sing. Okay. And, and uh um, but we've never seen you anywhere in a mask, uh, no, Phantom of the Opera, no, no, anything no, like no, that. No. It's just that you could. Weddings. I started doing weddings, too. I'd sing oh. a lot of weddings and things like that. But, but again, I haven't done that in a long time. Okay. It takes practice. you got to really keep up with it and, and keep practice. And this job is so goofy, I don't have time to do Well, I'm not willing to make time to do that. <laughs> I got you. When All I get right. home, I want a beer uh-huh. and my cats. So. Yeah, I got you. And ukulele. <laughs> yeah. And ukulele. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's do memories here for a second. Let's take us to your ninth grade gym class, which doubles, this memory doubles as your most embarrassing moment. This is. Uh, I don't know how your high school was, but we all had to wear uniforms. And uh, even though the girls and the boys at this point were separated, the gym had this big folding door. So you would open the gym class with everybody on the floor doing calisthenics. 
you know, you do, you do burpees, you do push-ups, you do, and the gym teacher walking up and down, blowing the whistle. And then came the sit-ups. <laughs> and I don't know if it had been the lunch I'd had that day <laughs> or what, but everybody's quiet because everybody's miserable. Yeah. One, two. And that's all you hear is, you know, the echo. One, two. And then you heard the loud trumpeting flap <laughs> of my bottom <laughs> letting out the loudest gargantuan fart. And it's ninth grade. This and is it this is echoed a, uh -huh. throughout this cannabis uh, gym. And then everybody laughed. And they knew it was you, huh? Yeah, as hard as I tried to. Wait, who, who let who that was that? I, I, me. I don't Everybody's know who did looking They're at looking you. right at me. <laughs> but like I said, this is ninth grade. This has got to be tough because, I mean, are you saying the girls were in there too? Yeah. Oh, no. Because they, you would start with the girls on one side, the guys on the other. We're doing calisthenics. And then when it came time to do the various gym activities, whatever it was, basketball, mm -hmm. you know, they would close that that folding door. And so the girls might be doing tumbling on the mat. Okay. And then the boys would be playing basketball. And I understand why they did it, because I would have much rather gone over and watched the girls tumble <laughs> on the mat than play basketball. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So, but yeah, I be, that became, uh, it took me- Did you get a nickname out of that? No, but it took me six or eight weeks to live it down. I, I, bet, I bet. Because I was coming in and out of the locker room. Oh, there's that boy that- Oh, there's yeah. Mr. Loudpants. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. What, 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 what's your earliest memory then? Uh, people don't believe me when I remember my third birthday. Mm. Uh, I remember my sister woke me up and said, you're three years old. Come on <laughs> in and open presents. So cool and uh, and I was you know, blurry. I didn't. And, and I remember I was in footy pajamas. Hmm. And uh, but but I, I remember things like that. And people say I'm not old enough to remember being two. Um, but this was this was two going into three. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember landing on the moon. Oh, wow. I, I remember. It was know, just to be clear, you didn't land on No, but I remember watching remember when, it happen. Yeah, so, okay. It was one of those things, and it was late at night, and mom and dad woke yeah. us up because they wanted us to see this. Right. And then we're staring at this blurry black and white image, and I, oh, big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't long after that, the splashdown, which to me as a child of that age was, I was much more impressive than watching it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Okay. So, thinking back over your life, who's had the biggest impact? Definitely my wife, because I think I've learned. I know that's cheesy to say, but she has taught me more. I like to think I've taught her as well. And we talked earlier in the program about, you know, when you're in a marriage, there's you should be doing that. You should there should be an exchange of ideas, an exchange of habits, an exchange of comfort zones, you know, where mm -hmm. I've got her to step out of her comfort zone. She's got me in many ways step out of mine. Uh, she's sanded off my rough edges. I've sanded off hers. So. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I'm a different person than I was, but for the better. Okay. Because of her. So That's good. That's cool. Anything you want to accomplish uh, in your life? I've never been a one to try to look back and say, gosh, I should have done this or I should have done that. Uh, because for whatever reason, it didn't happen. But I still... And I'm also not one of these, oh, bucket list, because that means you're getting close to it. So I don't do mm. that either. Uh, I used to want to learn to skydive. Lovely wife has forbidden that, so that's not going to happen. <laughs> and I'm going to honor her wishes. Okay. Uh, but I, I, I would like, I've been with enough friends who have airplanes and flown enough small craft airplanes. I think I'd like to learn to fly. I'd like, you know, it's, it's expensive. It's time consuming. But I, that's one thing I would like to do. 
Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you'd almost be the master of your own domain when you when in you some fly ways. somewhere. Yeah, in some you know ways, what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you wouldn't have to worry about TSA and, right. and all that right. good stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, any regrets that you have that you'd want to share? Well, I just mentioned I'm not one that, to look back and and do regrets, but uh, you know, I, growing up in South Louisiana, I when I went into college, I wanted at least to learn to speak French. Hmm. And the day that you were to sign up. I, I didn't realize you had to go pretty early because the French classes filled up so quick. Mm. And so, sure enough, they had filled up and I wasn't able to take take French. And the next one on the list was Spanish. And I thought, well, I'm not going to invest a whole semester of Spanish and not the rest of the semesters in Spanish. Right. So, so I took the Spanish and I picked it up pretty quick. And so uh, that's the one thing uh, I think I would have liked to have done if I could go back and do it again was was get the French under, under control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things you'd mentioned in the email is that you would have liked to have the opportunity to go to Europe as well. Yes, right? yes, yeah. uh, and we're still looking to do that. Okay, uh, good. My wife and I. Yeah, we. She was an Air Force brat, so she lived in Germany for two years. She lived in England for five years. Uh, you know, she's lived all over, and she kind of wants to go back and see some of those places that she remembers. Mm-hmm. I just want to go to go, right? Because I've not been to Europe. I've been to a lot of different countries, but not Europe. So. Has anyone ever? told you that if you close your eyes and listen to you speak, that at times you sound like Tom Hanks. Uh, Am I the only one with that observation? You know what I used to get a lot of? You look like the young Elvis, especially when I was younger. Okay. When I was younger, uh, in high school and college, uh, I had I had that Elvis look because I had I don't have any hair anymore. But <laughs> I had I had thick you dark and me hair. both, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I had thick dark hair that I would comb over, and it would kind of make the little hook like Elvis's <laughs> hair did, and so so I got that. But I've never had somebody huh. talk about my voice patterns at all. So. Well, <laughs> and 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 I I didn't want to uh, mention it early on in the podcast because then people would be distracted. The whole time thinking I was talking with Tom Hanks, <laughs> but it's just something that really jumped out of me uh, early on in our conversation. So I thought I would at least point that out to see if anybody else has had that observation. No, no, honestly okay. not. But you know, I used to get the Elvis. Yeah, and but did you get a? Um, did you work on an Elvis impersonation? No, to go with the. No, I didn't have to. Everybody was doing it at that point. That was you know, <laughs> it wasn't long after his death, and everybody uh-huh. was doing the the, El- the Elvis, you know, the Vegas Elvis and all that. Okay. And one time when I was out with friends. And this was in college. Um, There was a bunch of girls along and one of the girls said, you look just like Elvis. I said, well, thank you. And I broke into, it was close to Christmas time. I broke into, (laughs) (laughs) and don't you know, the whole bar started singing along with me (laughs) and and doing the. That's awesome. (laughs) Did you get free drinks out of the deal? No, oh. I, I met the girls and it didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> so that happened once. Uh, you. But, you know, in the radio business, you it's a little freak. You get comfortable with not having people see you. Right. And I have been doing this afternoon talk show now for going on 10 years, maybe 11. And I was at the meat counter the other day. And I didn't know this guy from Adam, but I mean, it was it was as simple as, yeah, I need a, a pound of ground meat. And he went over there, got the ground meat, wrapped it all up, handed it to me and said, thank you, Mr. Matthews, and enjoy your show. And I mean, and it was just a, yeah, let me have a pound of ground meat. That's he recognized funny. me by voice. That's that was, that was, wow. <laughs> I, I actually, I did that to two sports talk show hosts in Atlanta uh, on uh-huh. MARTA. Going to a, I don't know, the Falcons or Hawks game, something like that. Uh-huh. And they were 
in the seat in front of me. And I just recognized their voice, yeah, Max yeah. and Morgan, you yeah. know, and I wanted to say, I actually did. I said, hey, Max and Morgan, and, and they were cool about it. But uh, yeah, that, that's got to be that moment of, wait, how do you know? Oh, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right about not being in radio. In fact, one of the reasons I got into radio is so that you wouldn't have to see face to face. It's almost like um, behind the curtain type thing. And I, I always wanted to be in radio, not because of that. I just wanted to be a part of that magic, that soundtrack. Yeah. One of my favorite movies was American Graffiti because of the relationship that Wolfman Jack's character has with the audience. And if you notice in that movie, there's never a time where Wolfman Jack's not playing in the background. Hmm. I, I wanted that. I wanted to be that soundtrack. I wanted to be the one sub, sub, supplying that entertainment. Uh, when I got to college and had to go through video courses, because that was part of it, that was one of my biggest disappointments was working in, in video and television. I mean, I can do it. I can do the editing. I just hated it. Right. I hated all the other aspects of it. I thought to myself, I could have this, this whole piece, a four-minute piece put together in probably less than four minutes, you know, and, and edited down and ready to rock because there's so many, so much, so fewer aspects to deal with. I am right there with you because part of getting the same degree at the University of Nebraska was taking these television production yeah. courses. And a lot of people say, oh, that must have been so much fun, you know, doing like a newscast and, you know, doing sports and weather and all this stuff. Ah, no. 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 And the directing is no. Uh -uh. I just want audio. Right. Just give me audio. White balance. Just turn the thing on. <laughs> we could talk about radio uh, for days. Yeah. And I do want to circle back to something uh, that you said in that vein. Um, you said really early on about how your room was set up with turntables yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. I think every radio geek like us that knew from an early age what they wanted to do for a living spent their childhood just playing radio station in their bedrooms or in their basements and, and, and had the setup where I had, you know, yeah. I had two little boom boxes. Mm -hmm. I had uh, um, a, a different little cassette report, uh, recorder that I would uh, use. I mean, it, it's like our rooms were, were just, they were, they were radio consoles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as long as I put everything away, everything was fine. Mom didn't mind. Oh, uh, <laughs> your parents made you clean up. Yeah. made me clean up. Uh -oh. but I had a little system <laughs> down and, and you know, okay, well I needed commercials. Well, I would go and right. record the audio off me the television. Too. <laughs> oh, there's my awesome. commercial. That's there's good. my commercial set yeah. right there. Grandparents one year gave me one of these little amateur weather stations. So you could, Oh, now I can do the weather forecast. And, uh -huh. and so all that stuff. See? I, we, we would have hurricanes come through down on the Gulf coast. Uh -huh. Well, I would get, Get out my hurricane map and pretend I was doing hurricane oh, coverage. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah. So, and back then you would give longitude and latitude. So I mean, it was, it was, it was really right, right. I think I got my sense of timing down. I think I got my ability to think on my feet down doing yeah. all that because it was practice. It was and see, was. for me, you talk about being the entertainment for an audience. I mean, the only audience I had was my mom. I would make these talk shows in my mm -hmm. basement bedroom in Atlanta, and then put it on a cassette tape. And she would just listen to listen to it. God bless her. On the way to work and back, you know. Oh, that was such a good show. And you know, you'll find those tapes now. You're like, no, uh, it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> Anyhow, uh, any social media handles, any any place, because uh, I know that you run KTOK. Yeah. And I know that you are um, big on keeping social media going. Is that kind of where you? Uh, I, I I like social media. I think it's an important, um, vital means of communication. And so 
it's not that I don't like social media, that I don't maintain a lot of different sites. It's just there's only so many hours in the day. So, you know, <laughs> Lee Matthews, rule, yeah. you type in Lee Matthews with two T's, you're going to find my Facebook. My Twitter page is the same as the radio stations, which is News Radio KTOK, News Radio KTOK. So those really are the only two handles that you're going to find associated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, I don't have time to do all this stuff. Correction. I'm not willing to make the time to do all these different social media uh, You're not willing avenues. to put the uh, videos of Beavis and Butthead on Twitter like I do? No. Okay. And, you know, it, it's <laughs> it, it, I'm not going to say I'm anti-social media because I know people who are. And I'm like, OK, grow up. It's the way things are now. I mean, right. it just is, yeah. <laughs> you know. But it, um, but, it, but it can be tough to interact with people on it, it social is, media. It's tough to interact. It's. It's it's great for talk radio because a lot of people interact that wouldn't call. Mm-hmm. So I always make it a part of the talk radio program because I think it's important. Um, it there's a lot of people who talk on social media who would not be as bold, and I think exactly. that's a good thing. Yeah, because they're expressing themselves. Uh, but maybe it's because you and I grew up in the business and know what to say and what not to say. Uh, I've never been Usually. censored. I'm, I'm, you know, I've never been put in Facebook jail. Have you? I, I don't... Uh, yeah, I've been put in Twitter jail. Have you? Yeah, okay. I don't. That's the only uh, social media I do. Okay. Um, for simply posting a uh, a YouTube video. Uh, okay. From C-SPAN. All right. And I guess when you post a C-SPAN video during an election cycle, yeah. you get censored. <laughs> I. I brought this up on the air yesterday. I was, I've never been. Huh. I mean, what do you have to do to get it to? Because I've put a lot of controversial stuff, uh-huh. or what I would consider controversial stuff. Now it's all, all of it's factual. I've sure. never put up something that was theoretical. I've yeah. never put up something that wasn't my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it depends on if your values. I think, and this almost gets political, yeah. but. If your values clash with the values of the gatekeepers, that's where you're going to get. Well, they do from what I've read, but I guess none of my posts have. I see. Maybe. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out because I'm listeners of mine. Do you want to? Do you want? Should we try to brainstorm? Not not especially, but I'm just wondering, (laughs) Okay, because I hear all these stories like what you just said. And and I've never had it happen to me Mm. before. Now, I don't do a lot of sharing. Usually if I share something, it's organic. I don't share a lot of other stuff. But. That doesn't mean I don't want to. I mean, I just. Uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out a way to get you banned or locked <laughs> out of your account right. or something. Anyway, Lee Matthews, uh, uh, I really appreciate your time. Known you for almost 17 years now, yeah. and I'm glad we had a chance to sit down and talk. Thanks so much for making time. Buddy. Glad to be here and keep doing the great radio. Thanks, man. You too. <laughs> well, maybe we can get Lee banned from social media at some point. Think of the most agreeable person you know. Can you imagine that happening to them? Right. (laughs) Anyhow, I do appreciate you checking out this edition of At The Mic. If you get a chance, please head over to atthemikeshow.com, atthemikeshow.com. That's a a one-stop shop for the podcast. You'll find the archive of past shows. You can contact me through the website. You can leave a voicemail over there. How cool is that? Uh, Rate and review, and please do share this podcast with your friends. It's how it's going to grow because of you. But I do hope you will go and look around on the webpage uh, at themikeshow.com. See what you can find. And as always, thank you for listening. I look forward to our next time together on At The Mic.
This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Look for At The Mic Show on Twitter to connect.